today on CityCast Salt Lake, another zany week in our big little city. And lead producer Emily Means is here to help me round up the top stories. It's Friday, October 14th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Emily Means, happy Friday. Happy Friday, Ali Vallarta. On, I don't know, something about Fridays makes me want to sing, makes me want to break into song. We have made a habit of doing that on this <laughs> Friday show. So. <laughs> well, we are very musically talented. You're welcome, world. Yeah. How is your heart and soul today and your body and mind? I'll be honest, the news has me a little stressed and I don't really know what to do with it. It's just kind of like sitting there in my in my chest yeah stuck like a lump of uh i don't know uh coal unchewed carrot or coal (laughs) how are you feeling yeah i will say it feels like the news this week got the memo that it's spooky season and was like let's talk about violent crime so on that note let's let's talk about violent crime i feel like you probably know this emily don't assume anything (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Violent crime nationally has been down since 1990. Like we are nationally on a downward slope of violent crime. And in Salt Lake City, crime overall is down 9% this year. And violent crime is down 4.5%. So there's the good news. That's good news. Yeah. And we got this information this week when Mayor Aaron Mendenhall and Police Chief Mike Brown basically gave an update on their crime control plan, which they rolled out in early 2021. And so they were given an update. And that feels like good news. And But unfortunately, the central thesis of their update was that crime is still happening too much for their liking. And so their approach to that is going to be to increase policing in the city. Tell me more. What else did we learn from this press conference? Why do they want to increase policing? Why do they think it'll work? Well, I can't really figure that out. I think their central thesis is we increased policing last year and now crime is down. And so we're going to increase policing more again. Like, Mm -hmm. it seems like the mayor's thesis is policing is working. Let's do it more. In particular, what we think is working is place-based policing, which leads to faster response times. So, like, we're identifying these hot spots Mm -hmm. like Pioneer Park, like Central City, and we're going to load them up with more officers. And we think that that is going to dampen the amount of crime and... If calls are up, it's going to make the callers feel happier because they'll get a faster response time. And presumably people that are calling the police are people who feel safer when the police are around. Mm -hmm. And so those people will be happy to see more cops in their neighborhood or in their business district. Right. And I would say, like, those are the facts. Okay. As they were presented to us. As they were presented to us. I have so many questions, Allie. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are so many variables in this situation. If we're looking at policing year over year, so many things could have changed from one year to the next that Mm -hmm. how can they be like, well, we added more cops to this area and crime went down. Therefore, more cops means less crime. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think you can do that. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. When I was reporting as a politics reporter back in the day, I did a story on this. I was there when they announced this crime plan back in 2021. So I talked to uh, Shima Bauman from the University of Utah Law School. She's an associate dean there. She researches criminal justice. And she says violent crime in particular This does not hold true because violent crime Mm. is so unpredictable Mm. that police really do nothing to prevent it. And if anything, if if we're thinking that police presence deters violent crime, it's only for a little bit. It's only Mm -hmm. until the police move on, you know, to Mm -hmm. to another area. And then the violent crime happens anyway. So this isn't a new strategy for Salt Lake City. And I don't know why. They think it works. Yeah. But I do know that police cost a ton of money and they make up the biggest portion by far of the city's budget. And it's not it's not even close, Allie. The police budget that the city council approved this year was one hundred and four million dollars. And that was like a 24 percent increase from the previous year. Mm-hmm. But let me just compare that. Sorry, I'm go- I've, I've got my finger. Go waving. Off, I've got- <laughs> let me compare that to some of the other city departments and in particular, the community and neighborhoods department, which is where homeless services are housed, where housing services are housed, that department got $29 million. So $104 million for policing and $29 million for the department that could probably do the most in preventing crime, you know, by by putting together more resources and services for folks. And, you know, it's I don't know. I don't know. I'm running out of gas. I think that is an important comparison to draw because the subtext of this announcement and this story really is homelessness. Because if you look at these hotspots that they want to load up with officers, ballpark, Pioneer Park, right? These are places where our unsheltered neighbors are gathering. And so my personal belief is like, we don't live in a safe community until everyone feels safe. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that loading up loading up these neighborhoods with more cops might make some people feel more safe, but I don't think that it makes everyone more safe. I yeah. think housing people would make everyone more safe and giving people like the services that they need and making them readily accessible and not displacing and exhausting them. And so Yeah, I mean, if you really wanted to put money into solving this problem, I personally agree with you. I would put it into housing and homelessness resources. I would not put it into loading the streets with more cops, which, frankly, I mean, this is the other thing they don't have. Like, they are struggling to retain police officers. The division is down 41 officers from what they, like, need to be fully staffed. So they're also going to run into a staffing issue around this. And so it seems like beefing this department up is a confusing decision. It's confusing. And I do want to acknowledge, I mean, you mentioned the ballpark neighborhood. We've seen reporting that folks in that neighborhood really don't feel safe just walking around. Mm -hmm. There are break-ins. There are, um, you know, there are gunshots. There are stabbings. Mm -hmm. People are scared to live in that neighborhood 
And similarly with the Fair Park neighborhood on uh, on the west side of Salt Lake. But I did want to mention in particular that neighborhood, which is right along North Temple. It's just funny. Like, history repeats itself. Mm. In 2018, they tried this exact same tactic. They put a police substation on North Temple to address uh, a perceived increase in crime and homelessness, which was a direct result of Operation Rio Grande. And and then what happened? I mean, they're mm-hmm. still talking about putting more police there in an effort to reduce crime. So does it work or does it not work? We already tried it and it doesn't seem to have worked. So mm-hmm. maybe we should try something else. Yeah. I mean, here's what I think. I think that this story broke this week and a lot of the press coverage that we saw of it was very much sort of like reiterating the press release, reiterating the conference, like here are the facts, here's what we're being told. I think we are going to get a lot of thoughtful reporting from great Mm -hmm. journalists in this community about what this actually means and what it could actually look like and like that is to come. So that's the conversation that I think we're gonna be having for a while after this announcement. And I look forward to reading it because we do have some great crime reporters in this city and they are going to be looking into this with a magnifying glass. Yeah. And residents in this city deserve answers and they deserve meaningful change. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court, and this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. All right, I'm going to take a deep breath to get us into the next, (laughs) into our next news item, uh, because we're talking about elections, Allie. It is election season. Uh, The election is November 8th. Keep an eye on your mailbox because ballots will be coming out around October 18th. That's three weeks before the election. The big race this year is, of course, the Senate race. We've got Mike Lee, who's been in office for, oh, I don't know, a while. I would have to <laughs> I'd have to fact check myself. And uh, Evan McMullen, who's an unaffiliated candidate, is uh, facing off with Mike Lee. But we can't forget about our congressional representatives. And this week, Representative Burgess Owens was scheduled to debate his Democratic opponent, Darlene McDonald, and also his United Utah opponent, January Walker. And he totally bailed, Allie. <laughs> he bailed. <sighs> Just hours before the debate, he bailed. Yeah. Were you surprised? No. And here's why. Because this is becoming a trend. 
Like, we have seen it in national elections, like, in the presidential. Remember when, like, former President Donald Trump was like, I'm not going to that. I'm mm-hmm. not going to this. Like, the back and forth about whether or not you're going to go to a debate. I mean, interestingly enough, I feel like it reached a new level this earlier this year when there were Republican candidates that didn't want to attend their Republican primary debates, which is like, <laughs> feels like a little next level. Um, but I am, I mean... Again, tinfoil hat on. Is not showing up for your debate now a better press strategy than going to the debate? Oh, my God, Ali. I was thinking that exact same thing. Because now what are we talking about? We're talking about Burgess Owens Mm -hmm. and how he didn't go to the debate. And what he didn't have to do was say something stupid at this debate for us to report on. Mm -hmm. And on top of that. I didn't even watch the debate because the incumbent wasn't there. So I don't know the, the positions of his opponents. I don't right. know what they care about. And I mean, I guess in the end, Burgess Owens wins and we all lose. Right, right. And debates are not, I mean, they're they're generally not terribly well viewed, especially local ones. They generally don't turn out a ton of people. They often feel like both teams reinforcing their love for their team, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it is in some ways does feel like a bit of a spectacle. But still, if we're trying to preserve our democracy, <laughs> which it feels like <laughs> we're doing. Mike Lee says that's not what we have anyway, so. That's right. It's a republic. Um, history teachers do not write us. Um, but <laughs> Write Mike Lee instead. <laughs> write Mike Lee. But I do think like, all right, there there is a little bit of integrity to the process of a debate and yeah. and the questions that are posed and the opportunity for engagement. And yeah, I mean, I think we should have a rule where if people refuse to go to the debate, we don't talk about how they didn't go to the debate anymore. Hmm. We just talk about who was at the debate. I have a lot of feelings about debates, Emily. I also think debates should be radio only. Oh, interesting. I think they should be audio programs. Why do you think that? Because I think people listen better that way. And then you can't do any of this stuff where you're like, there's so many little tricks of televised debates, right? Like moving into your opponent's screen or their field Mm. or making faces or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it should just be audio. Anyway. And we say that completely unbiased as podcasters. Yeah, we think we obviously (laughs) think audio is uh, the worst medium. I will say sort of a final thought on this debate thing is I think we file this under I don't want to talk to you, (laughs) which is what we've been hearing from a lot of electeds in the Mm -hmm. past, even Mm -hmm. just year in Utah. Right. And this reminds me of the legislative session Last year in January, SR1, Senate Rules Resolution 1, the very first one, right? Like when it's your first resolution or your first bill, it indicates that it's very high priority. SR1 limited press access to the Senate in Utah at the Utah legislature. And it passed. And it said, hey, you know, we think the press are just getting into too many arteries and veins of the Capitol. And so we want to limit where the press can go. We, You can be on the floor, you can be in the hallways, but you can't be here and there and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I thought this was the people's house. Help me understand. Like, if I invited you over to my house and I was like, this is your house, right? Mi casa es su casa. But you can only stay in this one room. But do not go in the bathroom. <laughs> <Do> not- <laughs> You better hold it. Like, 
it just doesn't feel right. And I do think these, like, not showing up to your debate, limiting press access, I think these things are congruous. Yeah, I mean, you make a great point. And the reason, the excuse Representative Owens gave anyway is that Lauren Gustis, the Salt Lake Tribune editor, was going to be moderating and... One time last year, Pat Bagley, the Tribune's political cartoonist, made a cartoon about Burgess Owens calling out Burgess Owens' clear racism, Mm. and Burgess Owens didn't like it. So, I mean, this guy doesn't talk to the media in Utah anyway. Right. It's just the excuses. They keep on coming. And Mm -hmm. in the end, do these debates really matter? Probably not. But... You know, there there should be some accountability for our elected officials. And um, if you're not going to play by the rules and allow your constituents to ask questions of you, then why should you be in office still? Yep. Okay. Can we transition to something lighter? Let's please. Please, please <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. I want to tell you about something that I've been kind of obsessed with lately. Tell me. Okay. So there is this Twitter account. So you know that I'm a Real Housewives of Salt Lake fan. I do. I do know that. And I think that Bravo is so interesting. And I think that Salt Lake being put on like the national stage with the Real Housewives of Salt Lake, it feels like we haven't had this kind of attention since, I don't know, the Olympics. (laughs) The Real Housewives are our new Olympic champions in the the interim between Olympics. Um, so there's this former donor database manager, which right off the bat, like that's my, I worked in nonprofits for a long time. That's my girl. You're into it. And (laughs) she gets her Excel fix by creating these like data tables about various Real Housewives franchises. It's called Bravoholic Data and she does good work. She has 93 Twitter followers. I'm one of them. (laughs) Okay. But... She has been looking at how the Housewives of Salt Lake are performing compared to other franchises and compared to other like TV shows. And I think it's interesting because we whenever we talk about the Housewives on this show, we always make the case that, look, these are our ambassadors. Like a lot of people in the world are getting to know our city through them. Yeah. Our unofficial mayors. Yeah. And do you know how many people in the United States watched the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City premiere this year on September 28th? I couldn't even guess, Allie. 685,000 viewers. Is that a lot? I don't think it's actually that much, (laughs) which gets me to my next point, which is, do you know how TV ratings work? Because I didn't until I looked into this. Definitely not. Definitely not. I'm a radio gal. Okay. So basically, the way TV ratings work is that TV ratings are not organized by how many people are watching because TV ratings are all about selling advertising. So TV ratings are organized based on what percentage of the viewers are in the demographic 18 to 49, age 18 to 49, because According to advertisers, that's the good stuff. Mm. And so ratings are actually organized by what percentage of the viewers fit in that demographic. And then it's sort of like scaled with how many viewers there are. So based on actual TV ratings, our Real Housewives of Salt Lake City are crushing it. Of course they are. Remember the show you did with Meg Walter just a couple weeks ago in time for the premiere? Mm -hmm. Something you said really Mm -hmm. stuck with me. (laughs) 
it's been haunting me oh, since dear. then. You said, no one works harder than our girls here in Salt Lake. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I guess it bears out. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the only Housewives franchise that is doing better right now on TV is Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. They're absolutely knocking it out of the park. But one of the other things that I thought was really fun when I was looking at this data is their show premiered the week of September 28th, and they are quite low on the list for that week. They're 19th out of the top 150 programs for Wednesday, September 28th. But that's because... All the top programs were the Weather Channel because that's when Hurricane Ian was making landfall in Florida. And you can't compete with catastrophes like that. You can manufacture as many catastrophes as you want on a reality show and you still can't compete with the Weather Channel. But then the following week, they were third out of 150 original cable telecasts. You go, girls. Allie, why do you think people like the Salt Lake franchise so much? What is it? What is it about them? I think you know what it is. We both know what it is. It's Mormon intrigue. That's what it is. That's what it is. People are curious. They're like, hmm, mm-hmm. who are these these uh, curious folk over in the beehive state? Yep. Let's find out what they're up to. Mormon intrigue sells. And that's why we're seeing nothing, it feels like, but true crime, et cetera, et cetera, around members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like, Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a hot ticket and I think Andy Cohen is probably learning that and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see more of that from from the Bravo realm. But. More Mormon dramas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Yeah. Allie, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I don't actually have a ton planned event-wise. The weather's been gorgeous. I'm going to hike, but the real thing that has been on my to-do list that I need to do this weekend is I'm going to sit down And I'm going to write a thoughtful public comment about the gondola proposal in Little Cottonwood Canyon. Good for you. Thank you. I'm going to put on a smoking jacket and a pair of loafers and light a cigar and really, really, you know, get my hands dirty. Get into character. Yeah. Um, But of course, like... We got the environmental impact statement for a Little Cottonwood Canyon gondola proposal. It's not great. I personally not stoked about the gondola. Maybe you are. But the public comment period ends Monday. So this weekend is the last push to get your voice in the mix. And we'll link that. I'll go ahead and link that site in the show notes. Do it. Um, Speaking of Little Cottonwood Canyon, I would recommend this for anyone who's looking for something to do. Go peep some leaves. It is freaking mm-hmm. beautiful up there right now. And I think this is the last weekend of Oktoberfest. I know, Allie, uh, you're a huge, huge fan. Oh we can't get into that right now. <laughs> We're not going to get, get into, into it. Snowbird Oktoberfest being say, my nemesis. Allie spent a lot of money on very little beer <laughs> at Oktoberfest, <laughs> but the leaves were worth it, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. The leaves are good. The leaves are good. Leaves peep are it good. out. Are you going to peep? Uh, I might do some peeping. I think my plan this weekend, uh, this Friday, I would love to go to the Jazz Mavericks preseason game. I'm really interested Oof. in seeing Luca. He was kind of a big star last season. 
But mm-hmm. these tickets, Allie, they are crazy. I know. I mean, it's a preseason game. It's a preseason game. So I'm hoping things I know. cool off a little bit since we have this brand new team. We don't really have stars on the team anymore um, because I want to want to see some jazz this season. A lot of people are really grumpy about the team this year. And I have to wonder if some of them are season ticket holders and they're going to be like last oh minute God. deciding they don't want to go. Perfect for me. And I think that's a sweet spot for you. If you're a season ticket holder and you don't give like us, the jazz give team us your this tickets. year, we'd love to buy your tickets. <laughs> At a heavily discounted price. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, Emily, have a great weekend. I will see you on Monday. You do the same. Bye, Allie. Bye. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our lead producer is Emily Means. Our producer is Ivana Martinez. Our newsletter editor is Therina Ria. And our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by the local band Mitochondria. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around this city. Have a great weekend. (laughs) There will be more police in the city. Oh my god!